just want you to shout out some things. What are you thankful for? Family. Family. For what? Jesus. Jesus. Good answer in church. That was good. Somebody said Jesus. Uh, what else are we thankful for? Clean water. Clean water. Okay. What else? I hear something over here. What is it? Costco. Costco? Is that what you said? Did you really? <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah, Costco is something to be thankful for. What else? Warmth. Warmth. What? Mac and cheese. Healthy grandbaby, that is really a, that's a miracle. What else? Grandparents? What? Friends. Friends. Well, I love all those things you're saying, and I'm, it's, it's something that I think, I think we go through life and you get kind of used to the blessings that we enjoy day to day, and especially being in America and the things that we take for granted, you know, seeing a missionary up here and having her show pictures and you know, that organization she's with, Africa's Hope, that, that video they showed, you know, I, it's amazing what happens around the world. And most of us are not, we don't touch by it on a daily basis, so we forget. Or maybe you've been on a short-term missions trip and you've, you've seen it. I know as I talk to people and I think about, you know, there's certain, certain things, like there's a poverty in, a, in different parts of the world, which we in the U.S., it's just difficult to comprehend because none of us have, most of us have never lived like that. We just don't understand. Um, <clears throat> I think I mentioned this last week, but it just, it just reminds me that Harriet Tubman movie that's out. I encourage you, if you haven't seen it, it's, it's amazing. I mean, it shows her faith. It does a pretty good job from Hollywood to show the faith you know, of a Christian. There's a point in there where somebody asks her about these, these uh, messages she gets from God. And I love how she describes it. She says, sometimes it hurts like a slap in the head. <laughs> I haven't had any like that. But then she says, sometimes it's like a soft voice like an impression, sometimes like a dream. And I think about that, you know, the world is hearing about a message from somebody who stood up at a time when she could have easily turned her back. And I'm so thankful we live today rather than then. And they, they do a great job of, of showing what it was like, but, but I, I've, I've talked to a lot of people about this. They, they soft pedal somewhat the, really, the, just the, the tragedy and the cruelty of slavery. And I think that... In a way, maybe it was good because people are allowed to then process through without having that harshness just shut them down. But I'm so thankful for where we are today compared to then. You know, it's not perfect, but I'm thankful. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for a God who is good. You know, and there's times where you, you walk through life, and even as we prayed today, where, you know, things are happening. And it's difficult sometimes, maybe in the middle of a struggle, to know and see the good. Have you ever been there? Where you're in the middle of something and, and it's almost like you're, you're bumping against walls and, and people and, and things are difficult and there's conflict and you're, you're stepping back. and you, you, Sometimes it can even be difficult to pray and, and praise and maybe a, a prayer song or a praise song comes to your mind and you, you might sing it even though you're not fully, fully feeling it. And I feel like that's one of the beauties of what, what song does for us. And you think it's easy to visualize it on the negative side. I mean, how many times maybe when you were growing up and your parents said, what are you singing? You know, what does that song mean? And you're like, I don't listen to the words. I just know the music. And truth is, those words get into our hearts. And they get into our minds. And whether you try or not, you memorize songs and you memorize lyrics. And, and the same is true when we're singing worship together. And as we sing corporately as a group. And those words that we sang, we may not be fully there. But in a way, it's almost like a prayer. It's almost like a pre-prayer. Like we're saying them before we mean them. And then our heart can somehow come around those. We were going to start talking about Christmas. But I, I wasn't feeling it yet. I, I still want to be thankful, if that's okay. 
And I want to talk a little bit more about thanksgiving. And this one scripture that, that talks about being thankful and talks about being joyful has always seemed like a contradiction. I want us to read it together. And this is James chapter 1, starting in verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking <clears throat> anything. Anything. I don't know about you, but when I look at that and I see that about pure joy and trials, it just seems like a contradiction. How can that be? So many times as you read scripture, hopefully it does that to you. Hopefully it stops you short and you say, wait a minute, that's not how I feel or that's not what I think. And any time that happens, that's a good time to say, what is he really saying here? And please, please, please have always the posture that maybe you might be wrong. It's tough, isn't it, sometimes? How, who here likes to be right? Come on, every, all of us do, right? I mean, no matter who you are. You know, some people, obviously, it's, it's, it's like imperative. But, then, but, but all of us, we want to be right. Nobody wants to live in, in, in what's wrong or live in confusion or, or misunderstanding. So when you read this and it doesn't make sense, we need to dig in and say, why doesn't that work? What is it that's, that's not working here? Is it possible? I'm going to throw something out here and then we're going to talk about this. And my goal is, remember I've told you that every sermon is a persuasive speech, right? So I'm going to tell you where I'm going, and then I hope we all get there together at the end of this tour. Is it possible that you could rejoice? Is it possible that maybe God could take what's happening to you and use it to your benefit? And that what may on the surface not feel all that wonderful, he wants you to see it as pure joy because he wants you to see it differently than it looks on the surface and on the face. So easy to live life and just walk through and take everything at face value. But, but the fact of the matter is there's always something deeper. There's something, there's always a question behind the question. And there's, a, there's always a motive behind people's actions. And there's always a thought behind it. There's something there and we want to see what that is. Is it possible that God could actually have purpose in things that are happening to you? Could he actually want to use those things to grow you? To make you stronger, to draw you closer to himself. I don't know how many of you are into going to the gym or working out or that kind of thing. I've, you know, I've, over the years, I've been around that a lot. And there's an interesting process to that, which sounds destructive at first. And maybe you've never heard this. And if this is the first time you've heard it, it's going to sound weird. If, if you're part of that world, you understand this. But when you work out, the point is that you're going to stress and strain and literally tear a muscle. Did you know that? When you're working it. You work it farther than it wants to work and you make it do more and you deplete it and you actually create some micro tears in that fiber. And then what happens is, if you're, if you're getting your rest, if you're eating correctly and getting enough protein... If you're doing all that, then what happens is that muscle then repairs itself and grows stronger. Doesn't that seem weird? It actually, you tear it down to grow it stronger. Now, if you don't do that, it just basically stays the same. And then as you age, it just kind of atrophies and gets smaller. If you don't use it at all, guess what happens? It goes away. I spent some time in the hospital once and lost about 30 pounds, and it was all muscle. <laughs> I was still fat. I just, my pants fit the same, at least on the top. But everything else was shrinking. They told me 72 hours of inactivity and your muscles start to atrophy. Is it possible 
Is it possible that God uses principles like that throughout all of the world and everything he's created? Is it possible that even your faith is a muscle that if you work it out, it grows and it takes some straining and stressing to grow it? But if you never test it, if it never is tested, it never grows? I mean, what what use would faith be to you if you ever never needed it? If it was just something sitting there that you never used. In fact, I think what would happen, it was at atrophies. And then when you are confronted with something after never using it for a long time, what's going to happen is it's going to be challenged. And it's going to be too weak to endure the contest and the thing that's coming at you. Can I throw one other thing at you? If you've never experienced something, do you really know what it is? I used this example recently, but it's true. I had a friend of mine called, and he goes, yeah, I had to walk my kid through changing a tire. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, well, I, I talked to him about it. I thought he knew what to do, but then when it happened, he's calling me from the side of the road because he didn't know what to do. I said, but I told you what to do, but he never done it. Unless you've done it, you don't know. Unless you fished that crazy little jack that's engineered for your car, your vehicle, and looked at the little thing and seen exactly where it goes. You know, some cars have a little tab that it's supposed to fit into. And, you know, every car is a little different, if it's a truck or car or whatever. And you get out that weird crank thing, right? Do you really know? Until you've actually got down there and actually done it and watched it work and loosened the lug nuts. I mean, have, do you really know? How many of you know how to ride a bull? Don't we all theoretically know what to do? I mean, you just, right? How hard can it be? You just get on there and wrap that rope around your hand and hold on. I mean, how hard is it to hold on for eight seconds? I mean, we could hold our breath for eight seconds, right? I mean, how hard could it possibly be? But I would submit to you, unless you've actually done that, and I have not, you do not know. No one knows unless you've done it, done it. Actually been there and done it. No one knows. You don't know. The thing is, I, I, I see all these you know, people who run marathons, and I don't even want to know what that's like, but I guarantee you I know what it's like to run. I, mean, I used to run a couple miles a day in college. I did my time. I don't need to go back to that. But I guarantee you I don't know what it's like to run 10 miles. I never have and never will. <laughs> Just I will never will. And I certainly don't know what it's like to run a half marathon or a marathon but those who have, they know it in a depth that we, we who have not will never know. We can talk about it. You can talk about hitting the wall. You can talk about uh, carb loading. You can talk about all that. You can talk about, you know, your feet and your ankles and all of that. But you don't know until you've done it. Zachary, Brookbank recently did that. I, I, you will not know. I would submit to you that your faith walk with Christ is the same way. Unless you've actually needed faith and walked through a difficult time, you don't know what it's like. You won't know. Look at, look at this verse 4 again, a little closer, just by itself. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. God's goal for you is to develop you into the image of his son, and that takes some work, and his goal is for you to be mature and complete. And for that to happen, you've got to persevere. You've actually got to work through some things. Now, this passage of scripture, I love, I love doing this at times where you just look at different versions and see different, different pictures. And so let's take a look at it in the amplified version. And in the amplified version, or pardon me, the message, it says, consider it a sheer gift, friends, 
Sometimes a little too colloquial for some people and they feel like it's, oh, it's disrespectful to the word because it doesn't sound formal and kind of like what we're used to and grow up with. But consider it a sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come at you from all sides. You know that under pressure, your faith life is forced out into the open and shows its true colors. Do you ever think about that? That as you are walking through difficulties, that you really find out what you're made of? And until then, you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you can take until you actually work through those things. And then that verse 4 says, and don't, don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you become mature and well-developed, not deficient in any way. There's another verse I seldom really connect to those first four, and that is verse 12. It says, anyone who meets a testing challenge head-on and manages to stick it out is mighty fortunate. Sometimes the message makes me laugh. Mighty fortunate. I just can't see James talking like that. But for such persons loyally in love with God, the reward is life and more life. Joy in tests and struggles? The joy isn't necessarily in the test itself. It's in what the test produces. It's what the outcome is. In in the NIV, that same verse 12 reads, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised through those who love him. If you notice there, there's blessing there. There's a crown of life promised there's a fact that God wants you to live in a state of promise. It's what will be produced. And I think for most of us, especially Americans, I don't, I don't think a lot of the world sees Christianity the way we do. I think because of our relative comfort and relative ease, a lot of times we think God's goal for us is to live a life without any problems. I don't really think that's it. That's heaven. Heaven's no problems, no worries, no sadness, no sorrow, no, none of that. Earth is not like that. And what he's actually promised is difficulty. In fact, if you live for Christ, you're promised persecution. Because if you're living for Christ, then the values and the morals and everything that the Bible stands for is going to rub right up against culture and people and society. And they're not going to like it. Because what it's going to do is expose a life of what is sin and daming, dam, daming, dangerous and hurting them. And when that happens, there's going to be persecution. We have it all wrong. The goal's not carefree. That's not it. It's not easy street, no worries. You ever heard that phrase, no brain, no headache? Yeah, that's not, that's not what God wants. I think of it like this. No rain, no, no sunshine. Would you even appreciate the sunshine? I think of it like this. All sunshine, then there's no green grass. I think about no winter with no spring, with no fall, with no, no heat, no cold. I mean, do you know how nice it is, especially today with that wind like that? How nice it is to walk into a warm building. And as you walk in and you feel that warmth all around, you know, maybe like I didn't wear a hat into the building today. And uh, those of you who still have hair, you probably don't realize this, but right back here, oh my goodness, I feel it. And my head starts to ache, and I had shingles once on the back of my head, and it's days like this when that, that feels like that. Oh, I, it's amazing. It's exquisite. I'm just saying. There's a certain kind of pain. It's hard to even describe. And then your ears start to burn. You know what I'm talking about? And then you walk into a warm building, and you appreciate it. 
Otherwise, you wouldn't even notice. You wouldn't even think about it. Have you ever, have you ever worked at something really hard? Now, you could have hired somebody to do it, but, but my, my dad, we would dive into every project you can imagine. I don't care if it's changing an axle or whatever. And my, we would go to the, my dad, back in the day, of course, before internet and all that, we'd go to the, we'd, we'd actually go to the library and pull out the reference books on whatever vehicle we were working on, and he would write down and draw pictures, and then we'd go back and work on it. Have you ever done that? Now we use YouTube. Thank God for YouTube. But have you ever done that? And you could have paid someone to do it, but then you do it yourself, and then you step back and you turn the key and it runs, and the check engine light goes off. You know what that feels like? I've had students like, are you going to give me an A? And I told them, I don't give grades. You earn grades. Does that make sense? Have you ever done that? Have you ever studied for something and done all the work and learned it and walked into the test and know that you got this? And you sat down with a sense of confidence because you did the work. You know what you're going to get because you earned it. And then as you take the test, it's like, duh, I know that. Yeah, I got this. And you work your way through it. And when you get the grade, there's a sense of satisfaction that is different than if you were given something. Anybody remember when you bought your first car? I mean, you bought it. I'm not talking about someone bought it for you. You bought it. And you paid it off and you got that title clear. Remember what that felt like? (laughs) Did you ever think that maybe God runs those things all through all of humanity? And our faith is the same way. And that faith that you've worked through is actually more precious and more meaningful because now it's yours. No one gives it to you. You choose to follow and you choose to work through that. I remember the first time someone came and confronted me with a, an issue about the faith and Christianity. And I, I didn't have an answer. I knew, I knew they were wrong, but I didn't know why. And I was so frustrated, and I went and talked to people and found it. And I remember finding an answer and going back and showing it to them. There's something about it. Now that faith is mine. I own it. I believe because I believe because I've researched, and it's true. It makes sense. It's historical. It's real. I have a confidence that is, that is, is a precious, precious thing. Oh. Think about how sometimes we get so confused about the trials that we're walking through. And sometimes there's circumstances that are, that are going to come and they're going to go and they, you're happy or not happy. But then there's a joy that God gives in the middle of circumstances that for some of us, if you haven't experienced that and yet and worked through it, you need to do it. Because it will take your faith to a whole nother level. There's, there's a little mention. Paul does this a lot in his writings. As you, read, as you read Paul, I've been doing this lately where I'll read a whole book at one time. Just have the whole thing. And I mean, they're really just letters. Some of them are longer than probably letters any of us have written. And now today, people don't even write letters really, I guess. But in, in an email you might send or something comparable. But as you read it, you see the flow. And a lot of times he'll be making a certain point. He'll have an argument he's making. And then he'll go off on this, this trail. It's like, why did he mention that? But in this particular part of 2 Corinthians, he's basically writing to the Corinthian church and he's trying to encourage them to give to the, to the, the Christians who are in Jerusalem in poverty. And he uses this little example. He talks about the Macedonians. That would have been the, the, the people who were just north of Greece. And what he says is even in the middle of their poverty, they were anxious to give. He says he wasn't even going to ask them to give, but they asked to give. And look at this verse. He says, in the midst of a very severe trial, he calls their poverty a trial. 
Their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. How does that happen? It's because they're grateful. They're thankful for what God has done. It's easy, though, to lose sight of what God is doing, isn't it? I mean, to be fair, when things come against us, it's easy to slip into doubt and to withdraw and to pull away from the very God who has the answers. Sometimes we pull away. And you start to ask questions. Is he there? Does he even know what I'm walking through? Is he even going to help? Is it ever this way? Have you ever wondered why sometimes we face certain trials over and over again? Have you ever wondered that? I had a pastor say once, it's because he didn't figure it out the first time. And we need to learn. Anybody play video games here? Now you're all embarrassed to admit it in church, I know. But seriously, thank you. Thank you, Brett Hoy. Appreciate that honesty there, man. Okay, so who plays? You guys ever played a video game? Do you know how it works? Yeah, I'm going to let you in on a secret. All this, there's a theme going through this. Did you know they actually mirror how you learn in life? I know that sounds weird because a lot of adults are like, they're dumb and no one should play them. I get it. But if you've ever played a video game, you know how this works. You, you start through it. Some of them have a storyline. But whatever, you have to learn a certain things as you walk through the video game. Where the little treasures are. What you're supposed to do. What you're not supposed to do. If you're supposed to you know, kill something, how to do it. Or whatever. You walk through these things. And then the first time through, you don't get through, the, you don't get through that level. You ever notice that? Because you don't know what to do. But... You, you, your character dies, and then you do it again. You do that level again. And then when you figure it out, you go a little further. Did anybody see the parallel yet? And then what happens if you get to the end of that level? What's at the end of the level? No, there's something at the end. Sometimes there's a reward, but you have to beat what first? You've got to defeat the boss, the boss level, right? So it's really corny, but you get to a certain point and you have to defeat this boss and it's harder than anything else. And in most video games, it's set up like this that it takes a long time to beat that because they want you playing it forever and addicted and all that. I get all that. I know it's not wonderful. I'm not recommending all that. But here's just the facts. You get to this level and guess what? Then what happens? You go to the next level and you do it all over again and you learn more things. And then you get to that level and there's, guess what, another boss it's like it's like as christians we grow in our faith and you start off as a baby christian there's certain things you try to figure out and you get to it and hopefully you get to a point where you've learned those things but guess what there's going to be more things to learn and and in this stage it might be gossip that's an issue for you and then you realize how detrimental that is to the body of christ and how that hurts god's creation and how it's not how he wants it and then you might learn about that and you get to that boss level then you get up here and then you learn about what confrontation in the body of Christ is supposed to look like one on one we don't talk about each other we go one on one and deal with those issues and then at the next stage it's some do you see how this goes i've heard it said like this new level new devil it's the fact is we walk through all of these things so do those temptations come from god or what how does that work james all or uh, well Timothy here, Paul's writing again. He says, for this reason, I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed because I know who I have believed and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. Why would Timothy say that? The reason he says it is because he realizes that these things literally grow his faith. 
This is the process by which faith grows. It's kind of the difference between knowing something and really having a confirmed faith about it. He says, I'm not ashamed. I know what I believed, whom I believed, and I'm persuaded. I want to bring in the Amplified version. This is King James, but the Amplified says it this way. This is why I suffer as I do. Still, I am not ashamed, for I know him. And look at, the, look at the, the amplified version of that. I am personally acquainted with him. How does that happen? By you walking through trials. And as you walk through trials, God works with you through them, and you get to know him in a way that you don't know him otherwise. Whom I have believed with absolute trust and confidence in him and in the truth of his deity. And I'm persuaded beyond any doubt that he's able to guard that which I have entrusted to him until that day when I stand before him. The power of that, absolute trust and confidence. I think of it like this. I've talked to couples who said, yeah, we've never, ever had a fight. Ever? (laughs) I'm like, ever, ever? I wonder if they really know each other then. Honestly, and maybe you're here and you haven't had a fight. God bless you. But, but for most people, it's through those conflicts and things you get to know people and you, you find out different things. Is it possible that God actually uses these tests to grow you and then through it, he turns those things into glory? He does. Here's something, though, I, don't, I want you to remember. When you're being tempted, don't say God is tempting me. God's never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone. Temptations and trials are different things. Temptation comes from our own desires, which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions, and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. And he goes on. Don't be misled. Whatever is good and perfect is a gift coming down to us from God our Father, who created all the lights in the heavens. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. Not only does he not bring like temptations... But he does take those things, whatever you're walking through, and he turns them into beautiful things. As Romans says, we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. He can turn anything into good, whether they're trials or testings or temptings that we've walked ourselves into. But whatever it is, he wants to turn those into good things. I said this the other night. I heard this from a preacher years ago, but I said this at uh, Prime Timers, I think last month, where a lot of people, they, they talk about, you know, they, they, they want a testimony, but they don't want a test. You ever thought about that? Y- you won't really have a testimony unless you've been through a test. And I heard this one preacher say, yeah, a, test without a, a testimony without a test is just a money. <laughs> like, that's just dumb. Okay, but life's a test. Here's the thing. There, there's an enemy of our souls. His goal is to destroy you at every point. That's his goal. Christ's goal is the opposite of that. Jesus said it this way. The thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. If you're ever confused about that, please do not be. But let's get rid- back to that, com- that repetitive testing thing. Here's the thing about it, too. You're, remember the cumulative tests? Anybody just have those in school? where one test builds on the one you just had, right? And then that builds on the two previous, and then the fourth one builds on those three. Remember that? (laughs) That's life. That's how life is. 
Because the fact is, all of those are building up to what God is wanting to do in us. That's what he's trying to do. It is a marathon, not a wind sprint. It's not like you're just done with this and it never happens again. He actually uses those experiences. And when you fall, he uses that too to build you up into something different. The key is getting back up. Proverbs, the godly may trip seven times, but they will get up again. But one disaster is enough to overthrow the wicked. The truth is, as you walk through this life, you're going to have that. And so many times, Doug Reed, he was our our speaker at, at marriage retreat last year. And he also was the speaker uh, for men's retreat this year. And he used this great illustration just talking about how so often you might be in the middle of a difficult time in your life, maybe difficult season, and it's uncomfortable and hard. And, and you, you look around and sometimes we, we tend maybe to even look back and think, man, if, it, if I was just back there, everything was wonderful then and now this is difficult. And the problem with that is a lot of times we kind of romanticize the past anyway. It's, it's almost as if we forget some of the things that were there and the struggles that were in the past. And his point was, it's in the present here where God works on us and does things and builds us sometimes even then for the next stage of our life. It's like, yes, there's going to be a test and you're going to need what you learn now to be able to function tomorrow and the next day and the next day. Think about the children of Israel who kept complaining. And at one point they even said, we want to go back to Egypt. It's hard to even imagine that, right? Who would want to go back to slavery? But it was familiar and it was comfortable. And their, their needs were cared for. Yes, they were working. Yes, they were slaves. But, but it was easy in a way. And we forget what the bondage was like. And we want to go back. It's okay to, it's okay to look back and to kind of get your bearings and to know, this is what I learned then, but here's where I'm headed. I used to teach uh, high schoolers to drive a lot. Have you ever had this experience? My kids didn't do this, thank God. I was worried about it. Probably why they didn't, because I warned them about it. But there'd be times, you know, when you're driving with a new driver. You ever done this? You're driving with a new driver, and you say, did you check your mirrors? And they're like, yeah, it looks fine. Like, hey, look, look forward, right? Because <laughs> you're like, you don't stay looking back. You can't drive forward looking back in the mirrors. But that's the temptation. They're like, oh, yeah, I did. Like, no, 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 look, just glance back and look forward to drive. (laughs) I think of it like this, too. Sometimes the season you're in may seem horrible, but God will learn and teach you things in this season that you need to be where you are to learn. Maybe you yourself got yourself there, and it's it's something that you put yourself in, but you can still learn those things. And it might be good for you to just step back and say, God, okay, my faith is being tested and this is difficult, but what can I learn here that you can use to purify me and make me into the image of your son and something that I need to be for the future? I can't tell you how many times I've talked to young fathers and and it's difficult, right? You ever taken a child to learn to fish? You don't get to fish. There's years where you as a dad don't fish because you're teaching a kid to fish. And at first, that means trying to talk them into it. No, 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 there's going to be a fish in there. Or maybe you're baiting hooks, or maybe you're holding the pole, or maybe you're holding the kid and the pole. But what's cool is, if you do it right, you end up with a fishing partner, right? you got to learn what you're at. As we're closing here, here's the bottom line. You need to remember that God is good. And he has a plan for your life. 
And what you're walking through today, he will take and build things into you that you need to learn and you couldn't learn any other way. He does it. You gotta dig into him. You gotta search him. In the hardest times is when you need to search him the most. And unfortunately, a lot of our responses are not to search him, but he calls out to us to search for him. In Matthew, it says, Jesus said it like this, keep on asking and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. That phrase, keep on, he repeated it three times. The reason he did that, and that phrase means to keep doing now and on into the future. You've got to keep seeking him. Keep, keep seeking him. Jeremiah 29, 11, very famous passage of scripture. A lot of times we don't read the whole thing. We just read 11. We don't read past it. And it does start, and this is the part people like, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. We all love that. What we don't read is, then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. It's almost like we want the blessings without the seeking. And what he's saying is, come to me, and I will make you into this amazing thing. He'll take whatever trial, whatever season you're in, and teach you and mold you and refine you and grow you and develop you. One last thought. I want you to stand with me. And if you're here prepared to help us pray, I'd I'd like for you to come here. If you're one of the board members or wives or staff wives or on the prayer team specifically, if you would come up. His goal in working on you isn't, isn't a minor thing at all. In Ephesians, Paul says we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things he planned for us long ago. He actually has plans for you. Here in, this, in the New Living Translation, he calls this a masterpiece. In, in, the, in the NIV, it says handiwork. A lot of versions use the term workmanship. Maybe you don't see it that way, but God is working on you. So we just take a minute here. What I'd like is for, if you need prayer for anything at all, if it's physical, Maybe it's a test that you're going through and you're struggling and you just want someone to stand with you. You don't have to give every detail. You can just ask for prayer. And these people here would love to pray with you for a minute before we close our service. So please come if you need prayer for anything at all. For the rest of us, I'd just like you to shut your eyes for a minute. As we've been talking here today, you may be in this room and Maybe you've come to church for a long time or maybe this is your first time, but maybe you're in a situation where you haven't actually been following Christ. And as we've been talking, maybe the Holy Spirit has been using some of the things I've said or something else to convince you and maybe you're ready for the first time or maybe to renew your commitment to Him and you want to follow Him and Him to be part of your life. And if that is you, we'd love to pray for you. These people up front would love to pray but us in general would love to pray. Is there anybody here like that? That you just want to follow Christ, maybe for the first time or to renew that? Anybody at all? If you would just raise your hand and we can pray with you. Anybody at all? Let me just close uh, this part of our service in prayer. Father, I'm so grateful that you 
work in our lives. God, I'm grateful for your word that reminds us how you want to purify us and perfect us into people that you have preordained for us to be. God, I pray that you would do that in each of us. I pray for each one in this room, whatever, whatever period or stage of life or trial of life that they are walking through. God, I pray that you would continue to remind them of that and just show them of your love and your concern for them. And I pray, God, that you would work out each of these things and that you would continue to grow us into the people that you have made us to be. I give you the praise and glory for those things. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you today. Please be respectful of those who are still praying. If, as you are leaving, I just want to encourage you to share with each other, greet some people on your way out. I'm going to be out there in a minute. If I haven't met you before, I'd love to meet you right in the, right in the front here, or the, right outside the doors. God bless you today.